welcome to Getting to the Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and today's guest is the co-founder and president of America's first wax museum of African-American history, the National Blacks and Wax Museum, Dr. Joanne Martin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Rob. So we were talking a little bit before we got started, and this is this is a treat. It's like literally talking to a big, a big proponent of this thing that we have awareness around now. We're talking about like black stories and black history and just knowledge of black people. And just the Great Blacks and Wax Museum has always had that reputation here for pretty much my entire life or what have you. But I'll I'll have it come from the spokesperson, the voice, as we talked about a few minutes ago. <laughs> Could you describe the work of the Great Blacks and Great Blacks and Wax Museum and the um, the mission? Well, um, starting out, uh, my husband uh, Elmer was very much a product of his time of the Black consciousness, Black power, uh, civil rights era, um, the big Afro and the Ungawa Black power, and all of that. Um, he was on the faculty of uh, Morgan State University, and um, he found that uh, the students were complaining that learning all that Black history uh, uh, and um, was, wasn't going to have any value. It wouldn't get you the American dream or the middle class dream or the corporate dream or whether, whatever the dream might be, that they're not going to let you wear your dashiki and your afro and you won't get a job if you come in for an interview. And... So that was very disconcerting to my Ngawa Black Power um, husband, Elmer. Um, and then uh, to just top that off, he uh, sponsored a Little League baseball team of uh, Baltimore City youth. He had ID pictures taken of them so that uh, they could play in the league. And the uh, photographer came out over, gave out the pictures, and one of the kids came up to him angry, tears about the fall and told Elmer that he had to make the photographer take the picture over. So Elmer said he looked at the picture, said, son, it's a great picture of you. Why do you want it taken over? And the kid said, because they got me too black in this picture. I don't want to be as black as they got me in this picture. And, you know, we were the say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud uh, generation. We were the generation that um, chose the name black rather than and, and rejected Negro and colored. We were the generation that did that. So to have this kid talk about, and we thought we'd gotten uh, past that with um, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud and black is beautiful and, and those things. And Elmer said he sat in his office uh, in between his classes thinking about um, the, uh, the, the kids, um, uh, the, the young adults who are rejecting this whole idea that they're, uh, it's not going to get you the uh, American dream uh, with all that blackness. And here this kid is talking about physically being too black. And he, um, he said he sat just, uh, um, just almost destroyed for a while, uh, asking himself, how did we get back to this point? And how did we get back to this point so quickly? And he said, through this process, he said, um, we fail to institutionalize our history, to build institutions designed solely for the purpose of preserving our history and culture, and failing that every generation was going to have to um, start from scratch. And it was out of uh, that we went to um, Potter's Wax Museum in uh, Florida. Um, uh, 
Elmer and I were just fascinated by that way of telling the, um, the story. There weren't that many uh, uh, black uh, figures. And when they did, they had, you know, uh, we were all the same color. Yeah. Uh, we all looked alike. Then um, no matter what we did, whether we were uh, sitting under a tree or working, you know, <laughs> toiling away in the fields, we looked shiny, shiny black. Yeah. And all of those things that distinguish us from the, the from the very dark to the very light and everything in between, none of that was um, uh, was depicted in that museum. And then figures that we knew were black uh, th that uh, you still get as uh, being depicted as um, as white. And uh, so we uh, all of that was um was concerning to us, but it, nevertheless, um, just uh, the fact that for me, there have been um, no faces on our history, and especially at that time. Um, and so the idea that um, the wax medium puts a face on our history and it gives it an uh, up closeness. That's why you don't see um, our figures aren't behind glass and, and so forth, because we want that that whole idea of the closeness of a history that um, someone decided uh, to make remote or neglect or distort. Um, and, and so um, a number of the choices that we made about making sure that we, we try to find out what the skin color is, what the hair texture is, what uh, um, all of those things that define us as who we are and the unique people that we are. That's that is, is great to hear that because in multiple mediums and that having that attention to detail, it, it can only come from a black person if we're being honest about it. Because yes. you, you'll watch certain things uh, on like television or, or film or what have you, and it's supposed to be from a certain era. Let's say it's from the 70s, the 80s, or 90s. And it's like, yeah, we had the afros and the hot tough fades or what have you. And it's like, these wigs are bad. <laughs> there was not a black person consulted on these. And when you see, definitely seeing um, the depictions of race and we, black people make up a tapestry. Like we have so many different colors. It's a, yeah. it's a spectrum yeah. of brown. And when you see it, it's like that person doesn't look like that. But seeing that the museum, your museum has just that attention to detail. Like, no, we have to get this right because we, we, we know. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and for, um, for Elmer and for me, we feel, um, and I feel he felt that um, we were being entrusted with um, the story and with the history and, and someone's legacy. And that you could have um, people think that everyone in the, in the um, wax museum is dead. We would point out, you know, President Obama is very much alive. <laughs> <laughs> or and Rosa Parks, when she was uh, on her 75th anniversary tour, she came to the museum. Uh, pointed out that she loved her wax figure, but she had been wearing glasses all of her life, and she was she was wearing glasses on that uh, uh, fateful event, um, and that if we would put glasses on her, and we just opened up the day the day before, mm -hmm. her glasses were behind the counter, and you know, in our rush to open and, and and whatever, we forgot to put on her glasses, and there she was saying, "If you put my glasses on, I'll be happier, um, and it, and it'll be more authentic." And so we ran and and uh, got the glasses and and put them on. But the the 
point is that you can have people standing there next to their wax figure. And, you know, if um, you don't, God forbid, want them to say, well, who was that supposed to be? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and again, being entrusted with the, with the history, with the legacy and trying to be uh, respectful of that. So, and thank you for sharing that. So, I, I'm, I'm looking at you, you gave me your great bio in the background. So this helped me with my questions. Um, so I read that the museum began as a traveling show with just uh, four figures in the van. Who are the historic figures that were in the van? And are those figures still part of the museum? Um, they um, are still a part of the museum. Um, we had um, Mary McLeod Bethune and Fred um, Frederick Douglass. Um, they were... Um, we got two more so quickly that it's kind of hard to separate them out. But, but those were the, the absolute first two. And then um, John Brown and Nat Turner, because um, Elmer, it, Elmer wanted it to be, uh, you know, a John Brown, even though he, um, he and, and Frederick Douglass um, communicated and, and, um, and Frederick Douglass knew some of what his plans were, they're still very different individuals. Sure. And uh, uh, Nat Turner, very different from um, different individuals. Um, they're being insurrectionists and, and so forth. So he didn't want the, the, the first four to be um, of the same pattern and ideology and, and uh, that you have the, the perception that people have of them. Um, so those were the first four. Um, we, they occupied, <laughs> I never know what quite what word, I don't want to say they lived in, they <laughs> occupied the guest bedroom of our, of our two-bedroom apartment. So if you'd come in and looked in the guest bedroom of our two-bedroom apartment, you would have found Mary McLeod Bethune's head on the dresser and Frederick Douglass's torso in the corner <laughs> and Nat Turner someplace occupying his space and, and John Brown. Um, and Elmer began as an artist. Um, he began collecting so much stuff that you, we got to a point where you'd have to push the door of uh, our guest bedroom open as far as you could and then pitch things in there. So I, I, I developed a good baseball arm. I like it. <laughs> a pitching arm. Um, but that, and you know, I, I just began to say, this, this is Mary McLeod has got to go. She's got to find, find her own space. She can no longer <laughs> occupy the guest bedroom of my apartment. So, um, but that, that was our very humble um, beginning. We took money that we were saving to uh, make a down payment on a house. We, our relatives would run away from us when they saw us coming because they knew we were going to have uh, the, you know, the, the, the hat uh, uh, and taking up the collection. But um, and we, you know, ate a lot of lima beans and whatever, <laughs> but, you know, just trying to, to make this, um, this happen. It's, it's, it's very important work. And, uh, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, mention that I'm a Morgan alum as well, a uh, class of like what's 07 or what have you. So it's, um, I just remember one of the most rewarding and, um, interesting classes. And I wish that there was more and I wish that I had the, uh, consideration that I have now but the class was uh, the African diaspora class. And we had like just a dope mm-hmm. professor. And I was like, all of this is cool. Why isn't this taught more often? Why do I know <laughs> about all of these, like, you know, these wars and things like that? So why don't I just learn about black people? Um, yes. Yes. So in it, in that class, and this is actually a segue to this, this next question that I have for you. Um, in that class, I, I learned about just, just different people and people that I'm like, I want to learn more about their story. And cause you kind of look for people that, you kind of look 
not necessarily look up to, but they're facets of them. It's like, that's interesting. They lived an interesting life. Um, w- when you were growing up, were there any role models of people that you recall like heroes for, for you and your upbringing? Well, you know, um, I, I think about um, this. Um, I grew up in the segregated South. Um, and um, I don't, we had Negro History Week. And when that was over, it was over. Right. And then you went back to the um, the textbooks that had been chosen um, uh, for you by the white male school board. And um, so there wasn't a, a lot of, uh, there wasn't a whole lot about slavery or I, um, when I talk about there not being um, a face on history, um, Booker T. Washington was probably the most powerful man of his day. Mm-hmm. And in the cafeteria of, uh, of, of my school, Bryant Academy, <laughs> named for uh, a black man named James Bryant, there was a picture of someone I recognized as um, Mary McLeod Bethune because she ran up, she had a, uh, she created a school in Florida, um, George Washington Carver. And the third picture was, uh, in my eight-year-old mind, Mr. Costin, the bus driver. <laughs> now, it never occurred to me that there might not be a logical reason for Mr. Costin, the bus driver, to be on a wall with Mary McLeod Bethune and, and George Washington Carver. It was with the museum that I found out that the, that the picture, that the person that I thought was Mr. Costin, the bus driver, was actually Booker T. Washington. Oh, wow. And I... I had never, again, this, he was the most important and powerful man of his day. And I didn't know what he looked like. In fact, when I went home uh, once, um, and I had gotten married and we went to a little town in Florida by the name of Lessie, and I showed Mr. Carson, we went to visit them, and I showed him the picture uh, from our brochure of Booker T. Washington. And he said, happy dog, that do look like me. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, you know, um, but again, no faces to the history, either the history itself not being told or being revisionist mm-hmm. or um, or just having no faces to it. Um, but fortunately for me, my role models were people like my father. Uh, my father who um, wanted to be a mechanical um, engineer. He, I mean, and uh, black men of, um, of Uly, Florida, where I'm from, they worked in the mills, um, the pulp mills, um, the paper mills. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, uh, that was considered to be a, a good job. They were never going to make the same amount of money um, uh, as the white men who worked there. And they were certainly never going to rise as supervisors and so forth at that time. But my father wanted to be a mechanical engineer. He came home one day with this restaurant window fan. Uh, we'd see him out there manipulating this <laughs> thing. And um, and one day he, he had built a board over it or whatever, and he pushed, pushed in some push things, and he pushed it in the yard, got some uh, ele- uh, um, extension cords, and started to mow our lawn with his <laughs> restaurant, what my brother called his restaurant. Um, window lawnmower. Um, So that kind and our yard looked like a used car lot because everybody uh, (laughs) wanted my father to to work on. 
So he, my father went to the Navy, mm-hmm. thinking that the United, the, the Navy of the United States of America would provide him with the opportunity that the, the state of Florida and Nassau County would not. Right. Black men of his uh, age, the Navy made them servants. Mm-hmm. My father was made a cook. Um, and, you know, they were um, um, had, those were the kinds of jobs they had. Even they were servants, even to young white men who were their, the same age and rank. Right. Um, so for, for me, my father lived uh, uh, Langston Hughes's uh, Let America Be America Again. And the, the uh, America Never Was America to me. Part of that. He understood that that was the that was the Navy makes you a cook. But the let America be America again for my father was that um, um, back in Florida, he went to the polls every election, Mm -hmm. knowing that he was uh, going to be voting for the lesser of two or three evils. (laughs) But he went to the polls. He and his friends talked politics and so forth. because for him, the let America be America again was the promise of America, mm-hmm. the ideal that is America, the hope that is uh, is America. And and so very much for me, a role model, um, I, my father with his uh, five years of schooling, not education, because he had more education than five years, but five years of schooling, um, I would crawl up in his lap and he'd read to me from the pages of Popular Mechanics yeah. about nuts and bolts <laughs> and whatever. And and so he gave me an appreciation of um, of reading. So I don't know that I understood him to be a role model then, but I most certainly understand that now. That's that's wonderful. I, and I think oftentimes we have these kind of grandiose ideas of who a role model might be. And it's someone that's more remote, but mm-hmm. sometimes it's right there in your house. They're exactly. making like a lawnmower out of a fan or, <laughs> or just tucking you in or whatever the thing is. And they're, they're doing the things that are right. Um, so I want to talk about um, a few things within the museum uh, and a few of the um, few of the things that you've um, co-authored. So I want to talk about those real quick. Um, so let's see. Uh, like as, as we t- talked about a little bit before starting, I was in awe of the craftsmanship of the the wax the wax figures. Um, what is that process of creating the figures? And secondly, is like that other bullet point there. What are some of the challenges in maintaining those uh, wax figures? Well, um, when Elmer died in 2001, because he was the artist, mm-hmm. um, um, then he guided the process. Okay. Um, I can remember that we were in Egypt um, when he died, and, and what he said in Egypt was that when he um, that when he got back uh, to uh, Baltimore, he had to work on um, the Benjamin Hooks uh, wax figure because there was just something wrong with it. I mean, not work on it in the sense of crafting it, but uh, with the artist. Um, uh, just having him to the 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 detail details were off. Um, when Elmer died, two of the worst wax figures that we had came uh, when I had to take over the process. Um, and Elmer would have done so much better. But what I am proud of now is that the best wax figures that, that we have, um, one of them, for example, is, is our um, Frederick Douglass. And I guided that process. I've been guiding the process. I, Elmer died in 2001. Around 2003, I had gotten it right. Okay. I was uh, able to see what Elmer saw. 
and um, and to bring out those kinds of details and make decisions like having um, the big hair for Frederick Douglass, yeah. because that, that hair says for me, agitate, agitate, mm-hmm. agitate. But uh, so choosing uh, not just um, making sure that we get the image right, but sometimes how you're going to um, display it. Uh, those things are important. Uh, uh, important. Um, Mahalia Jackson, an- another excellent wax figure where she's singing and she has a mouth. Uh, you, you, it's clear that she's singing, she's looking upward and, and so forth. Um, so that's a part of uh, what goes into it. The, our most criticized wax figure is Martin Luther King. Okay. Because uh, we went for a, a young Martin Luther King when he was about 27, 28 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to make the point of that this man gave up his life. I, at 26 years old, I would not want to be trying to lead a, a movement <laughs> and have the whole race on my, on my shoulder. Um, but that's those are the decisions that he um, he made. And so you see him. People recognize Martin Luther King um, when he was um, near his death, um, actually, because he died so young, right. uh, relative. Um, and they don't, um, they, they recognize a Martin Luther King who, with the, uh, you know, the, the movement and there was a beginning to show on his face and his body and so forth. Um, a, a young Martin Luther King, you don't see that. I mean, it looks like Martin Luther yeah. King to me, but uh, but anyway, um, when you get little kids come in and say, "Mommy, mommy, who is that?" You know, if they don't know Martin Luther King, you know, you've got to do something else. Um, but those sometimes are the decisions that uh, we've made. Our Sojourner Truth, she doesn't have the bonnet on her head. And, you know, you see you have this one image of Sojourner Truth. And I'd like to think that Sojourner Truth didn't wear this bonnet. You know, maybe a a 10-year-old Sojourner Truth didn't have a a bonnet uh, rag on her head. Uh, But, you know, so uh, sometimes when people, we try to get people out of that, this is the only image of this, this person. Um, because they get stuck in um, just not understanding the the full impact of this person because they're looking only at a um, a, a certain uh, very small window uh, of that person. Absolutely, um, I remember one of the things uh, we were talking about when just becoming aware of like Black History Month and and that would be, unless you sought it out, unless it's being talked about in your home as a more broad thing, it was just literally in school, here's your three people, choose wisely. And being in a Black home, I was like, there are more than three famous Black people or (laughs) it's only these pieces that are um, of the person that are, maybe the sanitized or the ones that can be raised or the ones that can be modified to meet a certain means. And I'll say over the last few um, MLK days, uh, I'll acknowledge that people have made the point of don't just say one quote, don't just say this one thing because it suits your, your need at this point. It's like, or pull out someone else. There's we're, we're deeper than that. We're deeper than, MLK in his 30s. And as you you pointed out, it's like your figure is him in his 20s. And mm-hmm. it's like it's broader than that. And that's that's the thing that I think people fail on. And it just shows the, I think, limitation on how a long, rich history of black people has been not, not really spoken about at, at the length it should be. 
Exactly. And, uh, you know, um, it was uh, his uh, view on the on the um, uh, Vietnam War that uh, uh, began to get him in disfavor with uh, with uh, any number of people. Um, you know, so um, uh, you're absolutely right. Um, we have a tour guide uh, training uh, program where we teach um, our, the young, our youth works um, uh, youth uh, to be to be tour guides. And what I'm always trying to get them to see is, is not, uh, well, some of them will come in complaining that, uh, at, uh, you know, this is just like school. And then uh, at the end of the program, they will apologize. But they're also saying, well, all we know about is Harriet Tubman and Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and whatever. And why aren't we learning about the, um, the other people that you have here? Right. So those things make a difference, too. Yeah, it's um, it, it's something out there for everyone. Like I, I say it, uh, a really unabashed and kind of, I, I I can be a little ignorant about it. I'll admit, like we we drive the culture we always have. So it's not like as I said before, it's not three or four black people. We have lots, and we have various areas in which we've contributed, and we've not gotten our flowers, and we need to be acknowledged at at, at a minimum in terms of like what's being taught because you know it's 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 crucial and i think a lot of the work that that you're doing it's kind of at least a lot of people that i know that are from here and that are from this local area have gone there and that's where they get that broader like level of like black history or black historical knowledge um so i've read that you've uh, co-authored many publications in involving the black family black women and racial and cultural diversity which areas within black culture do you think have the most opportunity for more discussion especially now especially in like 2021 well um i think that that just getting a sense of um our resilience Mm -hmm. um, uh, the first um, book that um, um, Elmer and I um, wrote was the um, the Black Extended Family, and it came out of um, uh, his research uh, as a PhD um, student at Case Western Reserve in Cleveland. And what we we were told at the time um, was that our work was groundbreaking because the the um, the uh, extent the Black Extended Family was being con uh, being described by social scientists as pathological. That was the word that they use because it didn't fit the nuclear family model right you know and um so what we were saying about the black extended family is that uh that well social scientists uh talk about it as a this um walton type structure with john you know that family where you have several generations living in the same household that was uh, the extended family that the social scientists accepted um they didn't uh, see it as uh, as as healthy but much more healthy than than ours um and we're saying it can cross geographical lines right. so that you can have this family in 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 north carolina uh where the uh, the dominant family figure as we um describe this this uh person and i i, I, I encourage people to go look at the movie relook at the movie soul food yeah. Um, because that's a typical extended family, black extended family, as we describe it in the book, with the concepts like dominant family uh, figure and transfer of dominance and um, uh, fictive kinship and, and, and those kinds of things. But 
crossing general uh, uh, general uh, crossing geographical lines so that you've got this family in North Carolina. There are any number of uh, of of, of uh, men who know that someone sent them down to Grandma in in the South because they were going to get into trouble. And the grandmother would, in particular, grandfather too, would say, send that boy down here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at, you know, so we could get him right. Um, or you've got um, uh, families that maybe live on the same block and they shop together. They, they, they help um, each other uh, sharing food stamps or whatever. Um, help uh, uh, um, um, a man in Baltimore County who, uh, an uncle, who takes the kids from the city to baseball games and basketball games or whatever, to um, sports events, having that kind of um, interaction in, in our family and the fact that that has made for our survival. And so all of our books have been about the black family, the black community, as, um, as you indicated. Um, the helping tradition is a very, very important part of, um, of what we discuss. And, and we look at the women's club movement, um, for example. When you look at su the suffrage movement, it was very much a part of the women's um, club movement where black women were out there fighting on the front lines of battle fighting for the right to vote, um, fighting for our youth uh, and, and so forth, but the, the mutual aid um, tradition and, and, and things like that, but ha that have made for our, our survival um, in, in, this, in this country. That's and I think that's always an, an ongoing thing because, um, you know, as, as I think as what comes out of these sort of conversations and the subject matter as a whole, it's like it's never discussed enough for it to be the norm. It's discussed for, you know, a few months like, you know, in 2020, we had a bunch of stuff that happened during the summer in the middle of a pandemic that didn't thought we were done with that or I thought we were we're fine and or pandemic didn't stop you know, systemic racism and police brutality and, you know, those, those old things. And we still have it. And it's just that thing where when people talk about what, why does it have to be about race? Like, why isn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> Exactly. Okay. So now, and, and this has been like tremendous. And I have one last question because I know that there are, from what I've read, there are uh, movements happening and, um, updates and, and expan expansion happening. So what is the thinking in opening um, opening a museum and, um, in this area and expanding over the next like few years? Um, I read that there are it's, it's, it's movements towards that part of Baltimore, actually my neighborhood, of expanding and, and making the museum space um, a larger space. So what was the thinking in settling in Baltimore and the thinking in expanding at this point? Um. Well, Elmer, um, almost his mantra, two things. He said, conventional wis wisdom all over this nation is that you hide your poverty areas. And once you, can, uh, once you succeed in hiding them, then you can succeed in neglecting them. But that we were going to create a, a museum right in the heart of an African-American community and show that tourism can thrive in a non-traditional setting. Most of our visitors come from out of state. And um, they ask questions like, after Great Blacks in Wax, what else is there to see? Um, we had a group coming from somewhere in the South. They were on, on their way to Howard, um, where I'm an alum, um, <laughs> um, on their way to Howard. And, and um, uh, they took for a choir um, 
concert and competition. And they came to, um, they made a, a, they reserved a tour of the museum. There were um, 150 of them at least. And so we had Terra Cafe to come in and we divided them into two groups. And so half of them would be, were at the museum um, on the tour and the other half were in the in the, our mansion um, facility with um, Terrence and, and, and his staff um, serving them dinner. And we did the, the, the switch off. We have an extended tour. Um, uh, that takes you to Reginald Lewis Museum and uh, Hampton Mansion in in, um, uh, in Baltimore County and Towson. So showing that tourism can thrive in our area that and what we want the leaders of, um, of the city to see is that since we're showing that people will come from um, New York or uh, uh, in spring break from Florida or wherever, to um, a museum that's on the corner of North Avenue and Broadway, I'm um, North Avenue and Bond Street. That's an opportunity um, to create jobs and, and businesses and so forth. Right. And that's what we've been fighting for and trying to um, to get people to have the vision of what we can do as a tourist destination um, and and changing the way uh, we look at. Uh, the economy and, and what works and so forth. That's, that's great. And that is, that's, that's wonderful. It's, it's a wonderful idea in that I, I just agree with it. Like you have just this idea that there's only one Baltimore and it's only the inner Harbor. And it's like, well, I, yeah. my, my belief is, is always this, uh, everything worth your attention is in the city and it's not centered where, around where the water is at and where the ballparks are at. It's here. It's everywhere as you'll find all types of pockets. And in part, that's why I kind of do this podcast to show that we got interesting people everywhere. It's not, again, it goes back to, it's not three people. It's we've got <laughs> yes, interesting yes. people and we have interesting places uh, such as the, the great blacks and wax museum everywhere in Baltimore. And I'm just really privileged and glad to have had this opportunity to speak with you today. And um, this is a, a this is where I wrap up. And this is a thing that I like to offer. Um, I like to offer all of my guests an opportunity to shamelessly plug anything, whether it be um, the museum, whether it be your social media or anything that you just want to promote real quick. Um, you have the floor. Well, we um, uh, a number of um amazing youth who are part of our uh, youth programs. Um, so I encourage um, parents to contact us about some of the opportunities. We, as I mentioned earlier, we train our youth to be tour guides and they are amazing. Um, we, uh, this year we, um, and, and 2019 and 2020 and we'll and on into the future, we um, have, we train them to be motor coach uh, guides mm -hmm. and to do a motor coach tour. Um, in 2019, it was physical. In 2020, it was virtual. But the kids learn so much, and they are um, so capable and 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 just amazing. And I um, I thoroughly enjoy what I have been blessed to do um, with our youth. And so this whole notion of uh, Baltimore as uh, as this negative place, and uh, people aren't looking at the children that uh, that. Uh, 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 surround us and make our lives worthwhile. 
and uh, the where, where they can check that information out is on um, just everything. The update would be on www.greatblacksandwax.org. And that's where everything yes. would be at. Yes. Um, and on um, uh, face, uh, Facebook and, um, and Twitter as well. That's wonderful. And um, I'm just happy that I was able to talk to you. And I admire the work that's going on there and has been going on there for since since the 80s. I mean, it's it's yeah. great. It's yeah. expansion. It's yeah. great. And it's a it's a treasure to Baltimore City. So um, again, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. This has been very much a treat for me. Thank you so much. I, I really am. I'm humbled and honored um, that you reached out uh, to me and, and felt that I might have something worthwhile to say. So you, thank you. You totally did. Thank you so much. So for uh, Dr. Joanne Martin from the National Great Blacks and Wax Museum, I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art, black history, black art, black culture in and around Baltimore. You just have to look for it. Mm-hmm.